Welcome to the CGN Mission and Methods Podcast, Season 4. My name is Nick Cady. I'm the pastor of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, and I will be your host this season. October 3rd, 2023 marks 10 years since the passing of Pastor Chuck Smith, who was the man God used to start the Calvary Chapel movement of churches. In this bonus episode, I speak with Pastor Brian Broderson about Chuck Smith's approach to ministry, including some questions about how Chuck pastored personally and what were the major influences that shaped Chuck's theology and his preaching. Pastor Brian is uniquely qualified to speak to these questions as he not only served alongside Pastor Chuck and eventually succeeded him as the senior pastor of Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, but he also shares close family ties with Pastor Chuck as his son-in-law. Here's the episode. Welcome to CGM Mission and Methods Podcast. This is Pastor Nick Kitty. I'm joined by Pastor Brian Broderson. I just want to talk about Chuck's approach to ministry, and I know that you knew him so well. You're a family member of his. Maybe you could just kind of introduce our listeners. Maybe some people don't know Chuck Smith very well. What would you want them to know about him? Yeah, well, great to be with you, Nick. Chuck, obviously, he's, he's known by many. Um, I don't know that a, a younger generation or tons of people outside of the Calvary movement would know him. They would they would know his name certainly, and and I think because of the recent film, The Jesus Revolution, probably more more people are familiar with him now than maybe they were before the film came out. Yeah, Chuck was just an extraordinary guy in so many ways, a simple guy on one level, but extraordinary in the sense that God used him in a really unique way. Um, Chuck was a, a humble guy. He was a California coastal guy, sort of to the bone through and through, and very, very down to earth. Um, I think that was one of the things people really connected with him on, just the level of his humanity. Chuck was a brilliant guy. He wasn't... Um, he wasn't like a massive theological mind. He was very practical, but he was he was biblical through and through. I think if Spurgeon, it was once said of Spurgeon that if you if you cut him, he would bleed Bible line, and I think that would be true of Chuck as well. He was just so full of of God's word. And that came across uh, from the pulpit when he taught. It came across just in his everyday life. You know, he was, he was a man that was filled with, filled with uh, the joy of the Lord is very upbeat, very optimistic, full of faith. And, you know, really, I think, I think he enjoyed life. Mm. Yeah. Brian, when I first met you, you know, we developed a relationship, but I didn't know that you were related to Chuck and maybe some of our listeners aren't aware of that. So maybe tell us a little bit about how, how did you get to know him originally? Tell us a, some of those stories. Yeah, right. Well, I, I married Cheryl, who was the youngest of the four uh, Smith children, and we got married in 1980. And so obviously when I 
met Cheryl and started dating her, the next thing was to meet her dad. So funny thing was when I first met her, I had no idea that she was Chuck's daughter. And a friend of mine who I, I was with, we were at a, a little home Bible study and Cheryl happened to be there. And a friend of mine was really a big, big Chuck Smith fan. So he somehow figured out that Cheryl was Chuck's daughter and he was so excited you know, that Chuck Smith's daughter was in the room. And I was... I was having a great conversation with this young girl and just so happened to be Chuck's daughter, but I had no idea it was her. So after the meeting was over and we were going home, he was going on and on and on about Chuck's daughter. And I was just like, well, great. I didn't see Chuck's daughter. I was talking to this other girl that was you know, really amazing. <laughs> and uh, it was a couple of weeks later when we, we figured out that we were talking about the same girl. And we went back to the Bible study and I saw her again and we were having a conversation. And afterward, he said to me, so you met Chuck's daughter? And I said, no, I, I didn't meet Chuck's daughter. And he said, you were talking to her. So that was, that was the moment I realized that, oh, okay. Yeah, so obviously then from that point, as we started to get a little closer, went over and was introduced to the family. And I gotta tell you, Chuck did not give me a warm welcome. He was really, <laughs> He he was tough. Gave me the cold shoulder. As a matter of fact, my 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 mother-in-law Kay later on would say how how bad she felt for me, the way Chuck treated me, and she went out of her way to be extra nice. Yeah. You know? But I I finally, after a few weeks, I won him over. We were out at a picnic and we were playing softball. And when I got up and hit a grand slam, then he all of a sudden liked me and gave me the right hand of fellowship. Yeah. <laughs> Called me son. <laughs> I ran around the bases. Good hit, son. So, yeah. Excellent. Yeah, I, I would assume that a lot of people who know of Pastor Chuck, they know him through his pulpit ministry and his radio ministry. What would you want to share, having ministered alongside him and having known him on that deeper level, what would you want people to know about him? Well, Chuck would often say this, people would ask him about the success of Calvary Chapel and th there would literally be busloads of people coming from around the world to try to figure out what was going on at Calvary. And I remember days where busloads of pastors from different countries would pull into the parking lot and they'd, they'd all jump off the bus and we'd give them a tour of the site and talk to them. And, and in the end, they would have a conversation with Chuck and they would always get around to, well, what's the secret and how did you do it? And, and Chuck would always say the same thing. He would just say, it's the Lord. And he wouldn't elaborate on it much. He would just, and I, I think that was kind of annoying to some because they figured, no, there's gotta be more to it than that. So you're just withholding the the real secrets, but he knew that in the end, the explanation for what had happened was not in himself or not in any person. It was in just the sovereign work of God who decided at this time, in this place, with this person and these people, I'm going to do something extraordinary. Mm -hmm. And I think that Chuck managed that pretty well, all things considered.
he kept that perspective right to the end. Hmm. What, what are some things that you think made Chuck unique when it came to his approach for ministry? You've mentioned some, but I'm sure there are others. Well, Chuck was a risk taker. And I think that that was one of the things that even when I was young, I, I picked up on that. I remember one New Year's Eve, on New Year's Eve, Chuck would, back in those days, he would have the pastoral staff. He would give each of us five minutes to get up in front of the whole congregation and share. And I'll never forget looking at the lineup of guys and thinking, man, Chuck is a risk taker. Look at this, <laughs> look at this lineup of guys that he's got on his team. And I was one of them and I was in my early twenties and I didn't know much of anything. And neither did the rest of the guys that were on the platform. We were all kind of wet behind the ears, you know, and just making our way along. But, but he, he took risk. I think he believed that God would, would use people who were committed to him. And he, he wasn't afraid to to give people a chance. And I, I really am thankful that he was like that. And he sort of taught me that too. And I, I followed in his steps in a lot of ways with that. But that there was that. And then there was the, the his, his commitment to the authority of scripture, the inspiration, the inerrancy of scripture. He was, he was just so solid in that area, un, unmovable, unshakable. And he instilled that kind of confidence in the scriptures, in a whole generation of people, but especially us guys who were around him, us, us younger guys. That was one thing that um, I just, I, mean, I didn't know any better at the time. I didn't know about liberal theology or those types of, theological disputes and things like that. But I just knew that, well, this guy, he believes the Bible is the word of God and he instilled that confidence in me as well. Well, speaking of that, where did Chuck's theology come from? I think many people might know that he was in the Foursquare movement at one time, uh, but which theologians influenced him most? And was he product of Foursquare? Did he evolve beyond that? He he was a product of Foursquare, and he was he was influenced by by two professors. Chuck went through Life Bible College and received his bachelor's degree from Life Bible College, and he was greatly influenced by two professors, Van Cleef and oh my, the other one's name slips my mind right now, but but they were two pillars within the the Foursquare church. They were bona fide theologians. They actually wrote a book. I think the book is called The Foundations of Pentecostal Theology. And but Chuck really, really admired them. He really looked up to them. And they, I think, instilled a lot into him. So he definitely had a theological formation from the Foursquare. But I think later when he went into what we would most know him for his expositional preaching that came from other influences, not 
necessarily people that he was around, but more authors that he connected with over time. So he, he discovered at, at a, a certain stage, he discovered the writings of W.H. Griffith Thomas. And he tells a story about how that really impacted him, his little book on First John. And Chuck tells a story about having to move all the time from one church to another and because that's the way they did it in the denomination. But for him, it was okay because he ran out of sermons after a certain point and he needed, he needed to move on so he could go back and start over again with a fresh group of people. But he lived in the city of Huntington Beach in California and he lived down the street from the beach and he liked to get up and walk down and do and body surf in the morning. So he didn't want to leave Huntington Beach. So he had to figure out how can I prolong my ministry here? I've already run out of my sermons. Well, he stumbled across Griffith Thomas somehow and this, this book on the Apostle John, I have the book in my library, it gave him a series of sermons through 1 John and he was hooked. And he just said, oh, wow, this is, this is the way to do it. I can stay here indefinitely now. And then Griffith Thomas and Newell really influenced him in the Book of Romans. And Chuck has a bit of a, one of those historic encounters with Romans, you know, like mm -hmm. we read about with, say, a, like a Luther, for example, Wesley. Or, or Wesley, or, or even back to Augustine. Mm -hmm. Chuck had one of those types of things where he grew up in Pentecostalism. He grew up in a fairly legalistic system and didn't really have any idea of, of the depth of the grace of God. And so it was through the influence of Griffith Thomas and his teaching on Romans that, and, and Newell that, that really impacted him and changed him and then gave him, gave him preaching material as well. Mm -hmm. Chuck's favorite so, so he was really, he, you know, he was really influenced by the Bible guys, you know, guys who like G. Campbell Morgan and H. A. Ironside, and who else? All, all the all the guys with their initials in front of their right. last name. He was influenced by those guys greatly. But Campbell Morgan was his man. He was mm -hmm. his go-to guy. He loved Campbell Morgan, and would glean a lot from him. He was he really appreciated Lloyd-Jones as well, and actually had an opportunity to meet Martin Lloyd-Jones, to go to London and, and visit with him. Lloyd-Jones sent an emissary to California, a man named Richard Bennett, and he told Richard, go to California and find Chuck Smith. Wow. Because I think, I think revival, now remember Lloyd-Jones preached yeah. that classic series of sermons in 1959 on revival that became his book, Revival. And Lloyd-Jones thought that what was happening in California was what he had written about, preached on, and longed for. So that was pretty fascinating. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, you know, he loved Barclay too. Hmm. And he loved the, Barclay tended toward some theological liberalism, but he loved the brilliance of Barclay. He loved the background studies, the language component and all of that. So, yeah. and. And, he, you know, he just sort of passed all that stuff on. When I was a young guy in ministry, he one day just gave me about 500 books and just said, here you go. These, these are yours. And I still have probably most of them today. And, and all of the people I just mentioned were part of that 
Wow. You know, one thing I, I remember listening to Pastor Chuck teach is that he also, he seemed to be like, you mentioned how he was genuinely moved by the, the teaching of the grace of God. I, I found yeah. that he was also genuinely interested in uh, science, like in yeah. the way that God worked in the natural world. Very much, yeah. Yeah, there was, there was a guy, again, my memory is killing me, Chalfont, Harold Chalfont was one of these guys when Chuck was young who was brilliant in those kinds of areas. He, he was a bit of an apologist, but he did most of his apologetics just from sort of like from nature. You know, mm -hmm. He would just talk about different creatures or different plants or things like that. And he would run youth camps and things. And Chuck just loved Harold Chalfont and gleaned so much from him. But yeah, he really, he really had a natural fascination with the the world that God created mm. and knew the you know plants and flowers and shrubs and could tell you you know what was what <laughs> and you know I mean my wife knows all that stuff because her dad used to walk her around and point out this is this and that's that and I'm just like wow I wish I would have learned some of that stuff. yeah <laughs> yeah he he definitely was very very Fascinated, and he had a he had a good brain for that. You know, he was able to grasp a lot of that and retain it. I think one of the things that is obvious now is that Chuck, like so many, he had a photographic memory. Mm. He would he would read something or see something, and it would just forever be locked in his mind. You know, even even in his older years, he would be able to quote these poems and things that he learned when he was a kid, mm. and he would po quote them word for word. And astounding. Mm. So yeah, he, it's funny because he, he, he just had that. Uh, there was a brilliance there with him. Again, it didn't manifest itself so much in him going and getting a PhD. He didn't really care too much about that. Mm -hmm. But he definitely was a student of scripture, obviously, but of nature and life as well. Yeah, I'm just curious as a preacher myself. Did he? How did he preach? Where? What were his notes like? Did you ever see them? Oh yeah, I saw him a lot. Yeah, they were generally, I think, I've seen your notes. I think they're similar. It, he would do an introductory paragraph, and then he would do three-point sermon, five-point sermon, seven-point sermon, something like that. Mm -hmm. Sundays, a lot of people think that Chuck taught verse by verse through the whole Bible, Genesis to Revelation. He did do something like that, but it wasn't exactly that. But he always did that in the evening for a much smaller group of people, really. On Sunday mornings, Chuck preached sermons. He preached expositional sermons from, always, of course, from a biblical text. But so, like on Sunday night, he would go through Genesis. And if, if on Sunday night he was going to cover five chapters of Genesis, well, he was going to preach on Sunday morning from somewhere in those five chapters. But usually like with Genesis, he, may, he might cover chapter one and two. So he's gonna preach on creation and the image of God maybe. On when, when chapter three is in there, he's gonna preach on the fall. He's gonna preach on probably Cain and Abel, mm -hmm. Noah, Abraham and different. So, so he would put together sermons that most people who preach like that, he would, he would 
in some ways preach somewhat thematically as well, occasionally. Hmm. Okay, so going back to the idea you said that one of the things that characterized Pastor Chuck was his willingness to take steps of faith. Another thing that I know and I, I witnessed myself was him entrusting responsibility to young leaders. And so in that vein, I'm just curious, was there someone who did the same for him when he was younger and took a chance on him? I don't know. I don't think so. Because when he was younger, uh, there, you know, you're talking about a time when ministry exploded around him. And there were just n numbers and numbers of, of young people, young men specifically, that he would entrust things to. But, but going back in his own story, I don't know that there was ever that kind of experience. I think that was more something that he just kind of figured out on, on the fly, <laughs> you know. We, we've got stuff to do and I can't do everything. And there's a bunch of young guys around me. So I'm going to have to just let them, let them go. Yeah. And he, he was good. He was good at that. I mean, it was pretty amazing how he would just sense God's hand was on somebody. He'd give them an opportunity to get some training and then he'd, he would let them go. And that's yeah. how, that's how so many churches got started because those guys would go out and then, and I was one of them. So then we would go out and then, and then we would, in a sense, do the same thing mm -hmm. that he did. Yeah. And, and in that vein, I think a lot of people assume that Pastor Chuck's approach to ministry is very organic, very led by the spirit, meaning also kind of like not, not super planned out and strategic, but I also see that there were parts of him that were very strategic, right? So he... Yeah. He yeah. founded a Bible college and other yeah. other things like that. Yeah, he. It's really weird because he was much more, like like you just said, he was much more strategic than people would think, because he because his personality was so laid back in so many ways. His public persona was very much a laid back guy, and he was that in one sense, but he was very uh, energetic as well and very much a doer. Chuck was a doer. He was going to do something and he was a visionary. He he had a vision for something and he he was going to see it through. And the Lord would as is often the case, the Lord would surround him with people that were able to to carry out the vision. So he would have the vision, like a Bible college for example. He has a vision for a Bible college. He's not going to stop what he's doing and go run a Bible college, but he's going to find the right people and put them in place to to be able to do it. So Funny, just a funny little thing, and you, you might have heard this, Nick. It, a lot of Calvary chapels have a reputation of, of not paying too close attention to the clock. Mm -hmm. So don't necessarily start the service when, when the service time <laughs> rolls around and, and don't finish when it's time to finish. A Chuck was a stickler for stuff like that. I, you know, I, I was with him for years. We would be backstage, he would have his wristwatch set to the atomic clock. And the second that that, you know, second hand struck, say 930, because we had a 930 service, we were walking on the platform at that moment. And I'll give you one example. One time I preached and I preached a little longer than I should have apparently. And he gave me the riot act, how 
how could I be so insensitive to not finish on time? And look at all these people and you're going to create a traffic jam in the parking lot. And he was really, he was really bit out of shape at me about that. So, but that was, that was him. He was, he was very much, he was very meticulous about certain things. It's funny, you know, some things he was very casual about and then other things he was, he was a stickler for a lot of things. That's funny. My, my staff tells me the same thing, but I'm sure I have different things that I'm a stickler about than they do. But there are certain things that I care about a lot and some things that I let slide. And I tried to tell him the other day, you know, I said, you know, that's the mark of a genius. And I don't think they were convinced, to be honest. I'm still trying to work on that. So, <laughs> yeah, Right. Yeah. And, you know, one thing Chuck was, boy, somebody said that he, he, pinch a penny so hard that Lincoln's eyeballs would bulge. He was was very, very careful with, with, with money. And Mm. he, he was full of integrity in that area where so many over the, over the years have fallen prey to. um, Yeah. I don't know, but whatever it ends up being with finances, he sure. he stayed as far away from that as he could, and he he was always very very concerned and and meticulous about the church finances. Mm. Well, you know, as a pastor, having been a pastor of a smaller church and then seeing that explosive growth, one thing I'm curious about: how did Chuck do pastoral care? I mean, if someone called the office, could they make an appointment with him? Did he ever do hospital visits? Yeah. Yeah, he did. He did all of that. He, he wasn't one, he didn't really like the come into my office and, and let me counsel you. He, because he, he was too fidgety. You know, he, he wanted to be moving. He wanted to be do, doing something productive. So he wasn't that he wasn't that good, like make an appointment and come in. I think most people that came to see him usually had a very specific thing. Anything ministry-wise, of course, he was happy to see guys and encourage them in, in their ministries and stuff. But the one thing that he really did do extraordinarily well is he was very compassionate and sympathetic. And so, if there was a um, if there was a real need, if there was a death in the family, or if there was some serious kind of situation, he was right there for that stuff all the time. He was very, very faithful. He would, he would go to the hospital at midnight to be with a family. If maybe somebody was in a car accident and somebody died and he would, he would be with the family. So he was very good at that. But, but again, he, he wasn't the kind of guy to have a schedule like book me from nine to five with five different counseling appointments and I'll be happy to sit behind my desk. And <laughs> he, he didn't so much like that. As a matter of fact, when I returned from England and joined him, he said, okay, now you like to do that with people. I'm tired of it. So you do that stuff. And I'm going to, I'm, he was, he was actually doing some construction work on my house at the time. He said, and I'm going to do this kind of stuff. I said, okay, that's fine. Wow. Well, on maybe a more serious note, you know, having been leading this, you know, wonderful, fruitful ministry, 
Were there any struggles, internal battles that he faced as a pastor? I, I can't imagine that anyone could be a pastor and not face internal right. battles. So I'm curious about those and how did he work through them? He did. Um, but there, there was that side of Chuck that was, there was a side of him that was very private in a lot of ways. I had access to him because I was in his house. I lived with him. I my wife's his daughter, my kids are his grandkids. So I, I would see him in context that most people would never see him in. But he still was a person who kept his cards close to his chest, so to speak. But there were times when he went through difficulties. Chuck was, it's funny because nowadays we, we think of him as just this, this wonderful, amazing guy who everybody loved. Chuck faced tons of criticism over the years of ministry. Mm -hmm. He was he was slandered up one side and down the other. And and there were times that that would weigh on him. It it did bother him at times, those, those kinds of things. And, and I think any kind of family difficulty, of course, would weigh on him heavily like it does for any of us who go through family struggles. Yeah. But Okay. Just generally with the ministry, he, he didn't seem to be too concerned most of the time. He really did have the mentality that it's the Lord's church and it's the Lord's problem. So I'm going to trust the Lord. He, he, yeah. would, he would do that on a lot of different things. How did... How did Pastor Chuck deal with so many younger guys and people looking up to him, so many people listening to his sermons? How did he process that? <laughs> yeah, th these, are, these are things where he was, he was, he, did, he didn't express himself too much about those kinds of things from an observer's point of view, I could say that he absolutely, I think he loved, he loved the idea of, of young people, especially serving the Lord. So he was always ready to give a word of encouragement to anybody who talked to him about their wishes, their desires to serve the Lord. He would have been the guy who would have, if he saw something in a, a young man or woman, he would have and thought that this would be good for him, he would send them to Bible college and he would cover the cost for them. So it, from, from the beginning of the revival, there were so many young people around him. I think it just became part of his, almost part of his personality just to, he just sort of lived in the ministry like 24 seven. And there was hardly a time when I was ever with him out in public that somebody didn't know him and not only knew him, but wanted to talk to him for a minute and wanted to tell him either how much he touched their lives or how difficult their lives are and if he could pray for them. I mean, he really, and he, and he did. It just, you know, he was Pastor Chuck in that sense. He was very much... Like 24-7, he was a pastor. Mm -hmm. How did Pastor Chuck handle theological diversity amongst his peers? How, did, how was his attitude towards those who shared different views than him? Chuck was really gracious. He, I think a lot of 
as as time has passed, of course, we're talking now ten years after Chuck's passing. But even even toward the end of his life, maybe the last ten years of his life, there was a lot of controversy that developed within our own movement and struggles and difficulties. And and some people wanted to sort of paint Chuck as this died in the wool Calvary guy who didn't really think highly at all of, of people outside of the movement. But Chuck was way, way more gracious and broader than that. He had lots of associations with with guys outside. Back here here in the area, I, I live in Costa Mesa, uh, Chuck would have been friends with the Presbyterian pastor, the Episcopal Church, the Lutheran, the Pentecostal. He would have had relationships with all of these guys. In some cases, it went back decades. He would He would have known these guys from the time when they were all struggling ministers at a certain season. And theologically, Chuck was very much, had his convictions, but he was, I never saw Chuck try to force his convictions on anybody or insist that they needed to believe like he did. Walter Martin, some people will know mm -hmm. that name. Uh, Walter Martin was notoriously post-trib. <laughs> And it, a lot of people tried to pit Chuck and Walter Martin against each other because Chuck's pre pre trib and and all of that. But Chuck and Walter Walter Martin were friends. You know, they hung out and enjoyed each other's presence and things like that. So, yeah, he he was happy with his theology, but was happy for other people to hold different theology. I mean. He would oftentimes go on Trinity Broadcasting Network back in those days. Trinity TBN has changed considerably in our day, but back in those days, there were some pretty wild things going on there and some, you know, quite honestly, some kind of wacky people. Hmm. And Chuck would go and people would be mad at him for going, but he would go. <laughs> he would just, you know, be a presence there and just... He was friends with Paul Crouch. I mean, they they, they had a bit, you know, they, they weren't like buddies, like they hung out, but he was respectful and gracious to him. Yeah. All right. Last so. question for you. Did Chuck ever watch Cheers or Frasier? <laughs> I, what I'm getting at is I want to know what was his impression of Kelsey Grammer? <laughs> well, 100% for sure, Chuck never watched Cheers. <laughs> Chuck never watched anything unless it was a football game. Really? Okay. Uh, Who's his football that, team? That, that was his go-to TV programming. I think, although, well, I, I think Chuck, the gracious person that he is, I think he would have just been honored that Kelsey Grammer played him. And I don't think that he would have necessarily said, Oh, I'm not like that. Or I, you know, he might have thought that to himself, but he would have never said it publicly because I think he would have just been thankful that somebody like Kelsey Grammer would would step in and, and play that role. So I think he would have been very happy to commend Kelsey for his effort to yeah. play him in the movie. Yeah, some of the critiques I heard from people, and I'm I'm curious what your thoughts are, is that, and I'm sure you know there there's the whole aspect of the cinematic thing, the storytelling part, but yeah. a lot of people I talked to said that Chuck was a lot uh, more jovial than than was portrayed in the movie. Yeah, well, that's that's for sure. And Kelsey played him in a way. I th I think for what it is, it's fine, but it wasn't. 
Chuck was not pensive in the sense that he wasn't a person who was uncertain about what he was doing or where he was going. I think it, I think in the movie, Chuck comes off as a little bit kind of not knowing what to do at the time. And, and in, the, in the film, the, the Lonnie Frisbee character sort of leads Chuck by the hand to, you know, let me, let me help you. That, that was not at all uh, characteristic of Chuck. Chuck was very much a guy with tons of vision and he knew where he was going and he was, he was going to get there and he didn't need, he didn't need anybody to take him by the hand and lead him. So I think that would be, and, and I think even, even the guys who made Greg Laurie, I think would say the same thing. He, that's, that's the Chuck we knew. He was, Chuck was in charge. <laughs> so, well, cool. I'm sure that we could go on and, and share lots more, but thank you so much, Brian, for the time today and for sharing these, these thoughts, kind of giving us a little bit of your insight into who Pastor Chuck was. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks, Nick. Thanks for listening to this season of the CGN Mission and Methods podcast. We'd love to hear feedback from you on these episodes. You can email us at cgn at calvarychapel.com. Keep an eye out on your podcast feed for bonus episodes and information about the next season of Mission and Methods. Until next time, God bless you.